I'm David Heitler Clevens. And I'm Rodney Wittenberg. And this is Music for the New Revolution. So you guys can guess we're doing another episode of uh, on race, and this one is the Black Lives Matter episode. Yes, and obviously there's been huge things going on in the country and even in the world. Uh, you know, uh, George Floyd's murder, and, and in the midst of many other murders, and and huge protests and changes and things, and you know, it it's it always is like. I think there's sort of two things often with these. Sometimes it feels like there's so much uh, killing of unarmed black people. Uh, and then other times it feels like people are saying, this has always been going on, but we're paying attention to it more now. And both those seem true at the same time. You know what I mean? Like um, that it's always been going on, but that there's also an epidemic of it right now. Yeah. Well, there's been an epidemic of police um using excessive force since the 1960s and it seems to be directed um at um people of color and poor people mm -hmm. um it's uh it is often amazing to me uh to see and i when i say see i get to see it because i live in a uh, suburban community how different the police treat the people when they stop them or pull them over around here. Yeah. Um, I was uh, relating an anecdotal story to someone recently. Uh, I heard um, some noise late at night and I woke up and there was a car parked at the corner where my house is and uh, it was blaring. I mean, when I say blaring, very loudly, a talk show <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning. And looked out the window and the car just sat there and it was sitting there for a good 20 minutes. And I finally decided to call the police. And when the police came, uh, long story short, there was a guy sitting in his car. He got to that corner, stopped and just never moved. He was so drunk or intoxicated. Uh, he was an old, uh, probably a um, middle-aged white guy, probably about our age, uh, you know, and um the police politely moved him from the car and uh, uh, doesn't didn't look like they arrested him, although I couldn't tell completely from the window. They did not put handcuffs on him. They did sit him down and they uh, 
put him in the car, unhandcuffed, and took him somewhere. So, um, you know, that is not how uh, I've been treated when I've been pulled over. Not in my neighborhood, I should say. Uh, but uh, when I'm pulled over, and I'm extremely aware and cautious, I am always respectful. Um, but I have been met with... Um, tension and disdain and it would have been very easy for the situation to escalate if i had not been mm. uh yes sir yeah no sir <laughs> yeah uh here's my license sir so well and you and i were talking even before this really blew up recently about the disproportionate police response to for instance these heavily armed white people who are protesting the quarantine yes. in Michigan and Pennsylvania other places you know they were totally allowed to do their thing and 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 they were actually threatening they were actually had these huge weapons and then you know unarmed black people or people of color are 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 you know treated entirely differently when they mm -hmm. you know do nothing and, and nothing threatening or you know uh it, it's it's very obvious the disproportionate response yes yeah. and you were talking about noticing things in the neighborhood i mean for years i've always thought every time i see somebody pulled over and there's two or three police cars for one stop mm -hmm. i'm like oh i'm sure i know what color the person is that they have stopped <laughs> <laughs> not gonna be a white person you know <laughs> yeah and then you look and you're like aha yeah. i was correct <laughs> I, I have never been wrong <laughs> with that one <laughs> yeah so it's interesting um I will point out that it is interesting because the statistics actually show, I believe, actually I was having a conversation with someone today who told me this. I have not looked it up, so maybe I shouldn't say it on the air, <laughs> but um, they were saying that actually there are more white people killed by police than black people. But I think the difference is a, it's, it, 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 it leads to the thing that I always talk about in that in um, white communities, they are treated and see themselves differently. So they don't report it the same way. It's not communicated the same way. And um, it, it's fascinating and amazing to me how this really is about poor people, but white poor people do not see themselves the same as black poor people. Well, I think the other part of that that is, because uh, I have looked up those statistics in, mm -hmm. in an argument, I don't have them at my fingertips, but literally there are more white people who are killed by police, but pro but proportional to the, mm -hmm. to the population, black people are many, many times more likely to be yes. killed by police than white people. So it's not, it, it doesn't make any sense really to compare the raw numbers. You have to look at the percentage of the population and then it's really clear how disproportionate you know how disproportionate yeah. it is and and it clearly is disproportionate yeah and it also feels like a war on poor people mm -hmm. you know right. it's it, like the plenty of rich people commit atrocious crimes and they don't get uh no one shoots them in the back right but I, I do think that you know the reason that this is a, a black lives matter issue as opposed to a you know Poor, uh, poor people matter issue is, yes. is that there are ways in which, you know, you know, color trumps everything. And I think some yes. of the stories that really make that clear are when like Oprah Winfrey is followed around a store because they think she's going to shoplift. And, <laughs> and clearly that's not about class. That's entirely yes. about race. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think, you know, these things off sometimes in one case, 
one thing is primary and in another case another thing's primary but um mm -hmm. uh so i agree with you sometimes it is about class but but sometimes it clearly is about about race mm -hmm. above all yeah well we have a lot of um things to play for you today so we're going to actually try to keep our um you know, conversation <laughs> it's very difficult for rodney and me to keep our conversation to a minimum but but we have some great music and we have a lot yes. of interviews usually in our episodes we have like one interview that we'll feature this time we're actually going to feature three excerpts from mm -hmm. interviews uh, but before we get to hearing from our first person that we interviewed, which is Chris Matthews, um, we have a kind of a good overall anthem for the Black Lives Matter um, movement. Black Lives Matter, no justice, no peace uh, from sounds of blackness. Mm. Yeah. 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 Sing it loud! Yeah. 
uh, here's our interview with Chris Matthews and not that Chris Matthews. No, Chris, this Chris spells her name C-R-Y-S, and she's a wonderful singer, songwriter, performer, uh, musician, and human being. And we had the opportunity to interview her via Zoom, and uh, we we're going to feature a little excerpt where she talks about her very new song called How Many More. Yes. So how did that come about, and what was your process of putting that together? So I, I do this side project called the Don't Forget My Name Project, um, which the song that I mentioned earlier um, about Trayvon Martin, which has uh, the name Don't Forget My Name. And after it was the it was like the week or two weeks where back to back to back, it was like uh, Philando Castile and Alton Sterling, just like right there together, you know, kind of like what we were experiencing now with like. Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and then also George Floyd, like in such quick succession. And the week that that happened was just so hard on me. I, I was just like this. I don't understand how people don't see what's happening. Don't don't uh, recognize this injustice for what it is and um, feel the need to, to have conversations that begin with all lives matter. I don't even understand what's happening right now. Um, and I have a lot of because of the type of music that I sing, because I am uh, much more in the folk lane than some other people uh, who look like me. The majority of my audiences are always white, always, always. And so to know that that is who is hearing me on a regular basis and to then wonder if they are also those people who think that All Lives Matter is the way to have a conversation with me when I'm talking about Black Lives Matter, I was like, I have to figure out how to do something um, because it just seems like these are really good people. Everyone that I've ever met has seemed like a good, good human. And so I don't want them to disappoint me and be not that, not be a good human after all, you know? So I'm like, what can I do? And so I started um, digging through the um, incredible, incredible archive that the Guardian has put together um, of people, just people period who have been killed by police. They have this very comprehensive archive that they that they handle uh, called the counted and so i went through that painstakingly finding every name of every black person who was killed by police which that time it went to through like 2016 and all of those people who were unarmed so i made this shirt which i'm actually wearing that shirt in the video for how many more it's actually the name of all of the names that i could fit onto a shirt and have them still be legible of people who were killed by police and the names in bold are people who are unarmed when they were killed. And so uh, there's a, there's a, like a speaking point that goes with that graphic to help people. Like I basically was like, okay, I'm going to just use this as a tool for when people say all lives matter. I want them to physically come face to face with that image and then try to have that same conversation with me and figure out how in the world they can still say that. And it's, it's been helpful. A lot of folks have, um, been wearing those shirts since 2016 and, and using those postcards um, since 2016 and having those tough conversations. Um, and so after that, that quick back to back to back that I was just talking about with Brianna um, and Ahmad and also George Floyd, um, it felt like another, another moment like that where it was just too much to ask us to shoulder um, and to still have people then counter us with things like All Lives Matter. Um, because 
it's just not the same. People say, oh, you know, there are, there are way more white people who get killed by cops than there are black people who get killed by cops. But it's like the thing that everybody seems to, well, not everybody, but the people who make that argument that they seem to always lose sight of is that we don't make up that much of the population. So like percentage wise, you have to look at it apples to apples. Percentage wise, we're, we're killed at like something crazy, like a 23 higher percent rate or something like that. It's insane because we make up such a small percent of the population. And so to then be like, well, it's just not the same. Like black, white people are killed too. Like, of course, that's not the conversation. And it's also important to note that a lot of those people who were in situations where they were armed are met with a significant more amount of force than people who are, for example, like Dylan Roof, who literally walked into a church and killed nine unarmed, innocent churchgoers and got comfortably escorted out of that church. Mm -hmm. People like Laquan McDonald, who were carrying a knife, uh, got met with just an army of gunfire. Uh, other people who were literally just holding a gun and asleep in their car were met with an army of gunfire. It's just not the same. In no context is it the same. Even when we are doing something that is violent, our violence is met with way more violence than other people who are, don't look like, like us and who are being violent. When we are unarmed, we are considered so much more of a threat that we have to be killed immediately as opposed to people who are walking through the streets in protest with assault rifles who are comfortably standing beside law enforcement officers and for whatever reason not deemed as a threat even though when i see them on television i'm terrified so what is that disconnect yeah so for me the song was kind of about that so i went through um the names from the don't forget my name project and because that project was um a couple of years old and because we are america and there have been so many more police killings since then i went through and um just tried to lovingly weave those stories together um, in a way with a melody that people could hear and with a chorus that I hoped would help them hear what they missed by the fact that there are over 70 names in that song. And so that's how the song came to be. Um, it's been encouraging to see how many people have shared and listened and responded positively to it. Um, and who have gotten it. I, I tried to be very intentional with the, the video description for the song and the purpose of it and with pointing out the fact that the youngest person in the song was seven years old. Um, a seven-year-old child should not be killed in her home asleep by the police, Ayanna Stanley Jones. And the oldest person in the song is 93 years old, Pearly Golden, Miss Pearly Golden. It's somebody's grandmother, mm -hmm. killed senselessly by the police. Um, and you know, the thing with Breonna Taylor is just like, she, they weren't even at the right house. Like that woman, that beautiful 27 year old woman who by the, by the way, was a first responder. This is another thing when we're talking about the disconnect between how black people are viewed. So many people right now amidst the COVID, uh, have so much to say about how much they love and respect frontline workers and how much they want to celebrate those people working on the front lines. This woman was a frontline worker. She was an EMT in her home doing nothing but sleeping. The police weren't at the right house. And so like any normal human who senses a threat and has some kind of weapon there to defend themselves, her boyfriend tried to defend his, himself and his home and his girlfriend, and she was killed. They weren't even at the right house. And it's just so hard. It's so hard to have those stories be just told again and again and again. And it's like, how many times do we have to tell you 
we are not viewed the same way. We are not treated the same way. And so that's, that's the point of the song. I, I hope that more people listen to it. I hope that more people take the time to actually read the description. I hope that more people finish that song and ask themselves how many of those names did they know? How many of those stories did they know? And the ones that they don't, I hope they take the time to go find out who they are. Um, and I hope it makes a difference. I hope it, it touches somebody, even if it changes one heart. I hope it does something. Well, I think it's a very powerful and effective song. So I think if, you know, if a song can get through to people who need to still be convinced, I think that is, is one of the songs yeah. that could do it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank I you mean, the, the combination of all those names that just, you know, that litany of names really is overwhelming, you know, when you just put that all all together. Yeah. And then the chorus, I think, expresses the outrage that's so appropriate that, uh, you know, how long does this have to go on? How many more lives have to be lost? It's just a very, it's relatively simple, you know, as a concept, yeah. but it really works, I think. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for writing the song and we'll be able to share it and get more people to hear it as we uh, yeah. broadcast it on our show. Yeah. Thanks for yeah, having me. Cool. Ayana and Darnisha, Tamir, Taisha and Trayvon, Michael Brown and Jordan Davis, William Chapman and Laquan, Keith McLeod and Tyree Crawford, Jordan Edwards and Devon, Antoine Rose and Victor Steen, Jeremy Lake and Patterson Brown. How many times must my people ask why? How many times must we watch another mother cry? And if we were you and what you've done be enough, would our reactions be as hard on you as yours are on us? How many more marches will it take? Many more days like this until we break. And if you were us, how much more could you bear? How many I can't breathe before you care? Oscar Grant and Eric Garner, Yvette Smith and Shelley Frey, Eric Harris and John Crawford. George Floyd and Freddie Gray, Chantel Davis and Tarika, Breonna Taylor and Kendra James, Romarley Graham and Danny Brumfeld, Terrence Crutcher, DeRavis and Dontre, Amadou Diallo, Sam DeBose and Botham Jean, Jordan Baker and Alton Sterling, Lavon, Shem and Stefan, Tatiana and Rakia, Jonathan Farrell and Ricky Ball, Janisha Fonville, Maya Hall, Akai Gurley, Philando Ahmad. How many times must my people ask why? How many times must we watch another mother cry? And if we were you and what you've done be enough, would our reactions be as hard on you as yours are on us? How many more marches will it take? How 
many more days like this until we break and if you were us how much more could you bear how many I can't breathe just before you care Eleanor Bumpers and Margaret Mitchell Alberta Spruill and Katherine Johnson Walter Scott and Joseph Mann Ollie Brooks and James Allen Gregory Gunn and Charles Goodrich Fred Barlow and Dennis Hudson Mary Truxillo and Deborah Danner Betty Jones and Pearly Golden How many times must my people ask why how many times must we watch another mother cry? And if we were you with what you've done be enough, would our reactions be as hard on you as yours are on us? How many more marches will it take? many more days like this until we break and if you were us how much more could you bear how many I can't breathe before you care mm. how many indeed yes very powerful song and that was yeah. a good example also that that's really a demo as you can probably hear but it sounds great but you know it, it's uh not a you know yet commercially released and that's one of the things that we like to to try to include is these songs that are so fresh and new that they haven't had time to be taken to the studio <laughs> yes yeah. yes being able to get them immediately is so amazing and we have another one like that later in the show yeah that's right that's right and it was really a pleasure to get to talk with, with Chris Matthews, and I'm sure that we will have her on the uh, future episodes as well. Yes, we will. Up next, we have an interview with uh, songwriter and singer Tom Nielsen. Yeah, we actually did this a while ago, but we're finally getting to air a part of it where he talks about his song that relates to these topics of Black Lives Matter uh, issues uh, the song that he's going to perform actually live in the studio with us is called Mistaken Identity. So you've traveled all over the world and met so many different types of people. How has that changed your worldview or shaped who you are as an artist or a songwriter? In every way. I breathe the same air as everyone else where I grew up, and that was an air of entitlement that I didn't see as entitlement, of, of white supremacy, although I would never have looked at myself as a white supremacy because my teachings were very strong of equality from my mom. And, and there were very specific situations growing up where she clearly taught me about segregation and that we were all equal and no one was better than anyone else. But I didn't understand whiteness. I didn't understand what it meant to be a male. Men don't have to. You know, white people don't have to because that's privilege. That's, that's privilege, yeah. right. Yeah. But leaving the States, because, again, the community I grew up with was all white. And um, leaving the States was 
suddenly it was in my face. And looking at how pigmentation stratified Colombian society and realized, hey, that's the United States. So you're saying, uh, just to clarify that, when you, so when you're in Colombia, you're saying that the, the I guess the more Spanish-looking Colombians had uh, uh, were considered better than the uh, indigenous people? There, you have the European people who will talk about their European ancestry and their whiteness, and, and definitely with every much bit of entitlement, as you will hear some white people talk about it here. And then there are the degrees of coloration in the skin with all the genetic mixing of coloration that is in our, you know, in our makeups and to where the skin gets darker and darker and darker and darker and then and you have your indigenous populations and then you have your black community that originated from the slave ships that either they mutinied and took them over or they crashed and along the coast in the Choco area and in the coast of Ecuador and Peru, you have these black communities. And so with all the mixing, there's definitely white is right, white is pretty. Yeah, you know, my, my landlady, you know, when I would be out in my garden and if I didn't have my shirt on, she would say, Tomas, you have such nice white skin. You don't want to darken it. And I, I found that and, and among the, the Chocoano populations and even among the, the darker-skinned friends that I had, sometimes it was, you know, they would identify themselves as being, you know, that lighter was prettier. And so that's the insipidness of, you know, the, the, the legacy of enslavement, you know, and what it does to everyone's mind. You know, it's not to say I wouldn't have dealt with it at some point in my life, Leaving the country and being in the midst of it and watching how other people were moving through it helped me think, you know, look at where we are in the States. And, and going to Florida with my mom when I was eight years old and for the first time seeing all these, you know, black people can't go here. And they weren't, it wasn't called black people, you know, coloreds here. Or, and that was the first time I ever really heard the word. And my mom told me, you don't use that word. It's not a nice word, and you don't use it, and that's all we really have to say about it. And she explained segregation and that it's not right, it's wrong, and that's all I needed to know. And, and that's, that was for my 8-year-old understanding of that. But there were other things that happened a- along the way as a child that still were imprinted, you know, that, and my mom was always very reinforcing with those inherent values of equality that do- doesn't matter if someone has a lot of money they're not better than you and whatever you believe in with religion. She says the stupidest wars are the ones over what someone's God is. And so I, that, was, that was firmly implanted. But I think it's a life struggle to understand how it all plays out. You know, it's not like I ever get it because I, I, that was rude. That was implanted. And then it was now it's my job for the rest of my life to see how it all plays out in the different situations. So maybe you could share one of your songs about how you uh, worked on uh, processing that or particularly around songs that deal with race and... and uh, I, have a, I have a few of those. Yeah. <laughs> there's one, there's sometimes people ask me, what's the impetus to, to write a song? And I say, well, a lot of it is, you know, hypocrisy or a lie or absurdity or or anger or sometimes when it's at a point where I can't not mm-hmm. 
write the song. I don't care what it sounds like. And, you know, the violence in this country, I don't, I don't need to say anything about that because we all, I hope anyone listening to this show is aware of the repeated violence in this country. And one of the things we often hear is it was mistaken identity. Whoops, I, that's okay because I thought it was someone else. Gee, I wouldn't have done it if I'd known, if I'd been paying attention. So I have, I have you know, some different songs, but one of them that I, I just sat down and it just flowed out when I was when I heard about it. and this is two or three things that happened at the same time with black people getting shot and and Bakersfield the, the Bakersfield police said it was a mistaken identity and when you hear the song as to who they mistook one for the other it was a kind of mistake any cop could make looking for adult black male 30 years old, about six feet tall, or anything to scale. So a teen would do, five feet two, draw down on her and check ID. Bakersfield police said it's just a case of mistaken identity. His head was bald and hers in a braid. And he wore a goatee While she was clean-shaven And riding her bike Mistaken identity She was in shorts He was wearing gray pants Or blue jeans And carrying a 12-inch blade But close enough Cause the skin he was in Was a similar shade Attacked by police at the point of a gun Punched in the mouth, maybe just for fun Puncture bites from a canine dog She was charged with assault in the police log She said he grabbed her wrist, then he grabbed her neck Then he threw her to the ground Put his knee in her back, pushed her head in the pavement handcuffs she was bound tied her feet together threw her in the car cuts and bruises on her head good thing she wasn't home wearing pajamas they might have shot her dead she was armed with a personal weapon her hands her feet and teeth so a canine was chewing on her leg While her head was underneath The knee of a cop so they charged her With a felony How can you be safe in the street and home With mistaken identity How can you be safe in the street and home With mistaken identity powerful song thank you yeah. yeah and you know it's it's interesting to think about that like I think you, you said this another time that that you know that is a kind of satire but obviously not the funny kind you know? yeah <laughs> the irony of yeah. it you know bald head and braided child you know six mm. feet tall five feet two definitely points out the the craziness of that yeah 
All right, so that was our excerpt from our interview and in-studio performance with Tom Nielsen. And actually, uh, people who are supporters of our work on Patreon can hear that full interview and a bunch of other songs that were performed live uh, from Tom. Um, And uh, eventually we'll make that available to everybody, but uh, those supporters get get an advanced uh, (laughs) access. (laughs) To the full interview. Yes. Uh, Yes. Uh, very powerful, very, very powerful yeah. song. Um, up next, uh, as we were talking about before, um, the ability for people to put songs out and distribute them is is uh, is something that can be done in a way that it's never been done before. Mm-hmm. And there's a young kid, Kadeen Bryant, who uh, put out a plea, and it's been pretty amazing to see how many musicians step forward to uh, honor and support him in his plea and he just wants to live and so what you're going to hear is a little mashup I did of a number of different versions of the song I Just Want to Live which he posted uh, an acapella version that is Kadeen posted an acapella version of the song online and many 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 musicians uh, added music to it so here it's a little mashup, a little two-minute mashup of uh, some of the versions that you can find online of this self-produced uh, plea to just want to live. Yeah, from a 12-year-old. It's really yeah. pretty amazing, and it is very passionate. And um, I think we'll go right from that into maybe uh, a couple other songs. Um, there's a beautiful song called Michael Brown by Rick Burkhart that um, Jenny and I did a little demo of so again not a mm-hmm. professional recording and uh john fromer has this great song another black man gone so we'll hear all three of those in a row starting with kedron bryant i'm a young black man doing all that i can to stay oh but when i look around and i see what's being done to my kind I'm a young black man Doing all that I can To stay Oh, but when I look around And I see what's being done to my kind Every day I'm being hunted as prey my people don't want no trouble. We've got enough strong Leave. 
you step in a street you've stepped in before the moment the squad car opens its door the moment your hands go up in the air and you go down a moment of silence Michael Brown The moment you first tell your kids to look out for the cops The cops all show up dressed like Gestapo. The moment it looks like the war overseas, but it's your hometown. A moment of silence for Michael Brown.
That was John Fromer, the late, great John Fromer with Another Black Man Gone. Great song. Then you guys did a wonderful job of Michael Brown. I I remember when you brought that song to me uh, when we were doing a... uh, a Unitarian service on uh, MLK's birthday. And uh, that song is so amazing. I agree. I think it's very powerful. Yeah. Well, maybe sometime we'll make an actual recording of it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I'm looking forward to actually Rick Burkhart, who wrote that, who used to be in this great duo called the Prince Michigans. uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, he is apparently going to release that at some point in the, you know, future. And I look forward to that because he's, he's mm-hmm. really amazing. Yes. And then before that was, uh, Kadron Bryant mm-hmm. with, I just want to live. Yeah. That kid's going to go places. I think mm-hmm. really, really. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. It's nice he, to hear he what will. you, yeah. And, and Rodney, you're the one who did that mashup. So we should give <laughs> credit to you. For oh, that. Yes. <laughs> yes. A little bit of a editing there. Right. <laughs> So I'm curious, Rodney, how are you mm-hmm. feeling? You know, I, I, there's a lot of things to be depressed by and upset by. And, and also, you know, I mean, the level of engagement right now, mm-hmm. in spite of the, you know, COVID-19 situation, I mean, there's just been massive, massive protests and all over the country and all over the world. And, you know, one of the things that I've found kind of heartening is to see that there's quite a few places that are, relatively small relatively rural and almost entirely white where they've had black lives matter protests yes and uh i I think we're in the midst of a major world revolution i think that it's uh i think that the coupled with the fact that everybody's out of work from covid is allowing people to actually focus on this in a way that has never happened before uh, around the world I and and it's very um, it is very hopeful to see all the young people of many different races and backgrounds all coming together and saying that their world going forward this is not acceptable yeah and also not just participating but I think a lot of these protests have been organized and led by young people yeah um, and so it's mm-hmm. it does feel like a, I mean it's certainly not the first time there's a lot there have been many times in recent years you know the Occupy movement was very much mm-hmm. centered around young people and um, but I felt like you know there's a kind of a passing of the torch here happening and it's not that older people aren't involved but I feel like the the energy has mm-hmm. come largely from younger people. And that may also be somewhat affected by the, the health situation because, um, you know, younger people are not quite as vulnerable, although they may think they're less vulnerable than they really are uh, <laughs> to this disease. Yeah, well, well so, yeah, we'll talk about that more in our COVID show. Right, right. <laughs> but I do think yeah. that's probably affected. I mean, I knew so many people who are usually on the front lines of protests who are like, it's my kids who are out there. It's my grandkids who are out there, you know, and uh, and and, you know, part of that feels like, yeah, we should all be there. But I also felt like there was an appropriate move in that direction, you know, that that yeah. that they're really taking leadership. Yeah, I think one of the things, too, that's uh, really um, hopeful about the movement is it seems like there are some clear goals or demands Mm-hmm. and that they have mm-hmm. uh 
I think with the movement that you mentioned earlier, it wasn't quite clear what the, they wanted. Uh, I know that they were marching about the injustice, economic injustice, but it wasn't clear what the solution was. And it seemed very fragmented. In this case, it seems like everybody is unified and wanting, I mean, there's a couple of different solutions, but they want the same thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's very clear that we want, um, that everybody wants to have, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter, <laughs> right? And and uh, an end to uh, the Rizzo invention of law and order policing. Mm -hmm. uh, and for those of you who don't know who Rizzo is, he's the mayor of Philadelphia, and uh, uh, and before he, that, police chief, and and before that, horrible, police chief, and person. is the and father of modern day policing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah here in the city of brotherly love is where it was created. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and people may have been hearing about in a lot of the statues coming down. And one of the earlier statues to come down was here in Philadelphia, the statue of, of Rizzo. And I, for one was very glad to see that because Rizzo was <laughs> a really uh, horrible figure in the history of this, you know, city, really the Mussolini of Philadelphia mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the, the things that happened later with the move bombing, really, I think you can say the seeds for that um, oh, yeah. anger between the police and the black community really were started by, by him in many ways. Yeah. I've often thought that even though move was about a good five or seven years later mm -hmm. after uh, Rizzo failed in becoming mayor for life because there was a... Uh, 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 a newspaper that no longer exists, the Bulletin, <laughs> broke the story of the brutality of the Philadelphia Police Department uh, at the uh, Roundhouse. And it actually is a Roundhouse, mm -hmm. um, which led to Rizzo uh, in ineffectively being able to change the charter where he could be mayor for life. Mm. And uh, But I still felt like even though he hadn't been mayor for a good uh maybe six or seven years it still was his police department right right when they bombed move right and that and the the animosity that he had built up you know yeah. was still was very much still alive so yeah 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 I, I and you know so that is another issue that maybe we should save for a whole nother episode but the <laughs> issue uh which is obviously very much intertwined with black lives matter is you know the the what to do about the systemic problems within the police. And um, I know you were just saying a moment ago I, that you feel like everybody wants the same thing, but I think this is a, a place where we m may be seeing some splintering a little bit about the, you know, defund the police, you know, phrase. And I, mm -hmm. I see well-meaning people who are very ready to try to attack that and say, no, oh, no, no, don't say that. It's going to, it's going to divide us. But you know, that. I think there's when you look at the actual arguments behind the defund the police mm -hmm. phrase, they really make a lot of sense. And yeah, I, I love the thing recently AOC responded to somebody like, well, what would it look like if we did this? And mm -hmm. and did you see that response to Rodney? Was no, like, I did not. It was pretty cool. She basically said, well, it kind of looked like what it looks like in the white suburbs right now. You know, it's not that there aren't police, but generally what her her claim, and I think there's a lot of credence to it, is that in the white suburbs, 
basically people try to avoid having the police solve the problems that can be solved in many other ways. So, for instance, if a teenager gets in trouble, they're more likely to get community service than either thrown in prison or killed for, you know, whatever minor infraction the teenager did. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so the idea is we try to help people move on with their lives. You know, you hear those phrases often with people of privilege, like when they've done something wrong. Well, we don't want to destroy their future. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> well, one other thing I could, uh, as someone who lives, I guess, uh, in full disclosure in a, uh, in a predominantly white suburb, um, one of the things that I can say is that, uh, and it seems this is the case with everybody and it's not a small suburb it's a fairly large suburb but we all know the police mm-hmm. um i i uh actually have given some of them guitar lessons uh-huh. right <laughs> and uh you know i see them when i'm out in the supermarket and because of the interesting location of where my house is and where i live um i end up being the staging area whenever anything happens in the in, in the immediate neighborhood um there's really no sidewalks or or uh places to park where i am uh it truly is a suburban community in that uh there are really no sidewalks no places to park and and no and and driveways are, are a little distant and um and what happens because i have a uh, commercial front where my recording studio is i have a commercial parking lot and and I'm at the base of a hill. Uh, all the police and firefighters all park here when there's something happens, whether it's a fire around the corner or a car accident or something like that. And so I've gotten to know them all. So even when I'm out walking around, they will, hey, how's music going? And I say that is because they've taken the time to get to know me as a person. Mm-hmm. And um, I can say when I lived in South Philly, or in uh, a more, um, I'll say, uh, you know, like in a poor neighborhood or like when I was in Germantown section of Philly, that didn't happen. Right. It was a very, very different relationship. And I'm the same person, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. I, but the relationship to the community and to me was very different. Yeah. Well, and that idea of community policing and, and you know, I've been learning recently about what happened in Camden, New Jersey, where yes. a number of years ago, they really did pretty much disband what they had and start over in many, many ways. And when you looked at the responses to the protests recently in Philadelphia compared to Camden, Philadelphia, mm-hmm. the police really attacked the protesters. Uh, you know, a lot of people yeah. were blaming the protesters for, for being violent, but really it was the police in many cases who were the ones who were either the ones who were violent or at least the ones who initiated the violence. Um, mm-hmm. And that was definitely seemed to be true from all the people I know and it, that were at, at things in Philadelphia. Whereas in Camden, they marched with the protesters. The police, yes, the police actually marched. joined yeah. the protest. And that, you know, I think was a direct relation to the way that they had restructured their force entirely. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of no, they, interesting they ideas. They got to know them. Real quick, when I was over in England, I, I was... Uh, talking to a relative of uh my girlfriend and and uh he was he's a former he's a retired police officer and he was talking about uh that's all they do in 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 england because they don't have guns and uh Mm -hmm. and they and, and i shouldn't say all they do he was a big proponent of it and he initiated in 
the area of the police that he worked in London. And he got to know, he made it a point to get to know the people in the community. And I think one of the biggest problems in our country, one of the things that's so hopeful about young people is they do know each other. Hmm. Like they've all grown up together. There's, um, I, 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 it is so um, hopeful when you see the fact that there are young people who are transgender and young people that are uh, of different races and they're all friends mm-hmm. and they all, and, and, and in, and in ways that didn't happen when we were younger, David, they yeah, all no, I seem totally to support agree. each other. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, our, our sons and their friends, you know, it, it is a very different kind of a, of a situation and it does give us hope, I think for the future. So maybe on that hopeful note, we should move to our last interview segment and song mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and we will, of course, talk about these issues further because there's so much more to talk about yes. and so much more music, so much more great music being created mm-hmm. every day. Um, but uh, we did have the opportunity to interview another person, Devin Marie. Actually, my wife Jenny alerted me to this incredible, powerful song that she did called I Can't Breathe. Um, right. And uh, she was willing to do an interview with us. She's on Long Island, and we had a really nice time talking with her. Mm-hmm. Yes, so here's our interview with uh, Devin Marie, and uh, and I'll say thank you for all listening to uh, this episode of Music for the New Revolution. Welcome, Devin. Thank you so much for doing this yes. with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So your song, uh, how did you consciously think of it as writing a political song or a social justice song? And have you written anything like that before? And as you were writing and what was going through your mind? Um, so George Floyd um, 100% set up um, I Can't Breathe for me, but I had been wanting to write um, a song similar to I Can't Breathe, just based off of the fact that it's not um, new. <laughs> um, this has just been going on for too long. Um, and so that was always like uh, something on the side that I would always try to mess around and see if there was something that came to me, but I also never wanted to force it. Um, and so because it never really came, I never really worked on it. Um, but that night we were sitting and eating dinner and most of my, uh, song ideas come to me very randomly, um, or at weird times and we were sitting eating dinner. And I think for me, just sitting across from my brother and just knowing all that's been happening and my brother's the kindest, most gentle soul you'll ever meet in your life. Um, so to be sitting there and hearing the news and just knowing all it takes is one person that doesn't know him, um, made it incredibly hard for me and I deal with my emotions by going to music um and so as I was sitting there I just kept hearing like in my head like I can't breathe I can't breathe um and so I just came upstairs and I started just writing and I can't breathe came from that but when it happened I wasn't intending to write a whole song I wasn't intending to write a whole um or for any of this to have come about from it um it was more of just me dealing with my emotions um at the time and that's really where it uh came from hmm. that that really is you know like that that idea and you mentioned before about you know studying to be a music therapist it's like music was your therapy right. in this traumatic instant you know and and like you said obviously the trauma has been going on and on and on this isn't the only time um but you found a really powerful way to channel your feelings into something that is really effective and makes other people feel it you know, so I, I think you did a great job with that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. How are you feeling about the response that the video and the song's getting? 
Um, I'm I'm still processing because, um, like like I said, it was something I did for myself. Um, and after writing it and reading the words, the words hit me almost as if I didn't write it. Mm -hmm. um, and seeing that, I was like, I feel like this could possibly help and resonate with other people. So I posted it on Instagram. Um, and I just left it there. Like I thought it was just going to be something that I posted that would probably do pretty well and people would share it with each other maybe. Um, and then all of a sudden my phone was blowing up, like, please post this anywhere else you can, like people need to hear this. And so I was like, okay. And so like I posted it on Facebook and like within 24 hours, it was at like 10,000 views and being shared everywhere. And I've had parents emailing me saying, hi, like I've been playing your song for my kid to help facilitate a conversation about what's happening. Um, and help them better understand. And knowing that that is possible just because of something that I wrote um, means the world, because that's really why I wanted to write songs was to be able to give a voice to people that feel that they don't have one. So to be able to help facilitate these conversations and to have people be able to stop and listen and reflect and apologize and realize I didn't understand what you guys were going through. I didn't realize how bad it truly was and for that i am sorry and for people to just be able to acknowledge that um in itself is just more than i could have asked for from this so right now this is more um my focus right now is because it's getting such a response i want to be able to respond to people and not just let it fall off like if they want to have a conversation about it i want to be able to have that conversation um because it's important and the fact that people are willing to have that conversation now is something that we shouldn't just um ignored mm -hmm. are you making it av it's available right now on youtube and facebook and instagram are you going to release it so that it's on uh that people can just get the audio somewhere yeah it's actually um on the in my bios on um instagram and i'm actually i have a fundraiser that's happening on facebook right now um because so many people had been asking me to put it on spotify and itunes um and i also had so many people asking to venmo me and give me money to support my career um, and in light of everything that was happening, I figured why not try to do both. Um, and so I put it up for sale. It's not on regular streaming sites like Spotify and Instagram um, or iTunes. Um, but people are able to purchase it for a dollar and I'm donating all that money to various organizations um, that need it the most right now. And so I've been asking people, especially the people that have been reaching out and responding to the song, what organizations near them need help because Although I'm trying to research all that I can, I'm really more just aware of what's happening over around me um, and near my bubble and knowing the causes that are most important to me. So to be able to help out people in states that I'm not really aware of what's going on there, um, I want to be able to help where I can um, with all of this. Awesome. Yeah, excellent. Well, we will put the link about how people can download the song when we put this you know, podcast up so that people can find you and, and find that, that wonderful song. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. This was great. Yeah, yeah we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Never ask my brother to come Cause God forbid anybody sees a black man run I'm getting tired of fleeting the 
case of men who can't speak out with a gun in their face or a voice who shop at convenience stores whose only crime was having skin that was different than yours what will it take to make you see the only difference between Listening to Music for the New Revolution. I'm Rodney Wittenberg. I'm David Heitler Clevens. Music for the New Revolution is produced at Melody Vision Recording Studios in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. Music for the New Revolution is written and produced by David Heitler Clevens and Rodney Wittenberg. And edited and co-produced by Ben Flax. You can find us at musicforthenewrevolution.com or MFTNR. Like us on Facebook and follow our Spotify playlist. And our podcasts can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. And you can also be a patron, a supporter of our podcast on Patreon. This is Music, Music for, for the, the New, New Revolution. Revolution. Pill 